0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom.
1: Well, today we get a chance to dive back into God's Word. How many thank God for His Word? We are going to be journeying to 1 Kings chapter 18 today as we continue in our series. It's a biographical series on the life of Elijah. For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you'll already know that Elijah is one of the major prophets of God and Uh, what we call our Old Testament section of our Bible. His story, his biography is captured for us in 1 Kings. And uh, we're gonna be looking at a few chapters before this series is all said and done. But I shared last week, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, hopefully you love biographies. I love biographies because they inspire me. And they're not just the triumphs of the person's life that inspire me and uh, teach me life lessons that can have an eternal impact on my heart and soul, but maybe even more than their triumphs, their trials, their struggles, and seeing their weaknesses. And certainly with Elijah, we're going to see his successes and we're going to see his weaknesses. We're going to see him in moments of his life that we will applaud and him in moments of his life that we will shake our heads at, but that's a lot like us. And that's exactly what the Bible says about Elijah. In the book of James in the New Testament, it says, Elijah, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just as uh, human as we are. But through it all, what we're gonna see is God's grace in ordinary lives. And I pray that you will see that as well. Today, what we're gonna see on display is two things. The power of God and the danger of worshiping idols. The power of God and the danger of worshiping idols. And it kind of reminds me of when I was fresh out of college 1997. Now, you got to go back in your imagination. I was a lot thinner then, and I had hair, and it was a great, glorious time in my life. Uh, But I'm fresh out of college, and I got hired by a major Wall Street firm, and um, one of the things that they would do is a first course of action is they would send you to New York to get trained, and so here I am for the first time, a young man in downtown Manhattan, and uh, getting a chance to be trained, and I'm in the World Trade Centers, but after work, I get a chance to go, along with some other colleagues and friends, and kind of walk around downtown, and when you've been there before, you are just amazed, enamored with the lights and the life of the place. It truly is a city that never sleeps, and I discovered that the first night I was there, had my window of my hotel room open, and it sounded just as busy at 3 a.m. as it did at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And one of the things that people go to New York for, and you guys who've been, you'll know this, is for shopping. There are so many stores, so many shops and outlets, and I learned a powerful lesson that I wish I would have known then, but I definitely know now, and that is, let me just put it this way, not all vendors are as legit as others. And uh, so I walk into the shop and uh, this guy is selling watches. It looks like a pop-up shop. And I thought, man, it'd be nice. I just got my first big paycheck. It'd be nice to get a a nice designer watch. And I probably should have known something was up when I saw Rolexes being sold for 100 bucks, but I didn't. I was young, I was naive, and I saw a nice watch. I bought the watch. And uh, thought, man, I just got the steal of the century. Little did I know, a week later, it was not working. The second hand fell off. Uh, the gold began to peel off, and that was a hundred-dollar education that I got back then. It cost me a hundred dollars to buy a fake watch. But what does it cost us to worship a fake God? That's what we're going to talk about today. Our life is full of idols, the world we live in, power, sex, money, success, lust, the approval of people. And we have to ask ourselves, what idols have I allowed to dominate my life? Because giving your heart to an idol could destroy your life, literally destroy your life, as we're going to see today in the text. I want to give you a definition of an idol, and then we're going to read the story here. We got a lot to read, but I think there's edification in what we're going to read today. And that is from Tim Keller. Tim Keller recently went on to be with the Lord, Christian author and thought leader. He said this about an idol. He says, when any anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it essentially is an idol, something you are actually worshiping. When anything in your life is essential for your happiness and your self-worth, like I can't be happy or feel good about myself unless you fill in the blank. I have successful, well-educated kids who are behaving well. I can't be happy or feel self-worth unless I have a degree or a six-figure income. I can't be happy or feel self-worth unless I have popularity or fame. You fill in the blank. That essentially then becomes your idol. And what you worship, you become. And what we discover here are three things that I just want to share with you, and that is... First, that idols corrupt us. They corrupt our lives. Look at this story. It says this. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I'm reading verse number one of chapter 18. In the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, a little bit of background here. We studied chapter 17 last week, and we were introduced to a few figures in the life of Elijah. Elijah is this man who is committed to serving the Lord, but he's serving in Israel. It's a divided kingdom in this uh, phase of the history of the nation of Israel, and it's being led by a corrupt king. Not only was Ahab, the king, corrupt, he was the most corrupt of all the kings, the Bible tells us, just a chapter or two before this one. He was married to a woman named Jezebel. They were vicious, they were corrupt, they were oppressive, and these were the people that were ruling the nation. But God wanted to demonstrate his power to his people, just as he does to us today. And so God says to Elijah in the chapter before this one, go to Ahab and let him know that there will be no rain in Israel, in all of Israel, until I say so so that he will know that I am God. Because Ahab had married a woman from a foreign nation and had adopted her gods, Israel was worshiping idols, the most popular of which was an idol named Baal. And God wanted to show that Baal was nothing and that he alone was the only true God. By the way, he wants to do that in our lives as well, to show us that the gods of money and sex and power really will never be able to satisfy on the promises that they give us, that the only place for us to find peace and hope, and salvation in our lives is through Jesus Christ. And so Elijah says to Ahab, no rain will come. And now we revisit the story three years later. No rain had come, but yet God says, now I want to send rain. Go tell Ahab that you're here and I'm about to move in a powerful way. Verse number two, so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria. It wasn't like uh, famine and drought. It was pretty severe. Verse number three, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the people, uh, I'm sorry, the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by 50 in the cave and fed them with bread and water. So Ahab had a servant in his house that he had placed over all of his royal household named Obadiah. But Obadiah was also a man of God. He was a prophet of the Lord during that time. And so God had strategically placed one of his servants in the royal household. This is a parenthetical statement that as we think about the politics of our day, just know that while there may be true, it may be true that a lot of politicians are off, that doesn't mean all of those who are in Lansing or Washington, D.C. are off. God knows how to place his people in Caesar's household. And so Obadiah was there in verse number five and Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals so they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went into one, went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, "'Is it you, my lord, Elijah?' And he, said, he answered him, "'It is I. Go tell your lord or your master, behold, Elijah is here.'" Now here's a very powerful moment, Obadiah sees the man of God. Elijah was known now throughout the whole nation, some for their appreciation of him, but many he was known in infamy because he was the man who said it would never rain. He was the man who God sent to tell Israel there's judgment coming upon the nation. It's a difficult job to preach heart messages. Today, I got a heart message to deliver to you, but it's our responsibility as the people of God to obey the word of God. Elijah's responsibility wasn't to please people. If Israel was to be saved, it was to declare the word of God. And if our families are gonna be saved, if our nation is gonna be saved, we gotta be true to the word of God, even if it means that it doesn't make us popular with people, amen? Amen. Because ultimately we know that heaven rules and that God is the one who judges. Don't fear a person who can destroy your body, fear rather the Lord who can destroy the body and cast the soul into hell. This particular chapter should provoke within us a pretty healthy fear of the Lord. So Obadiah sees Elijah and Elijah says, go tell Ahab I'm here and I wanna see him. Look at Obadiah's response, verse number nine. And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom and nation that they had not found you. So clearly Ahab had been searching. God had hidden Elijah to preserve his life for this very moment. And by the way, when you obey God, he knows how to protect his people so as one famous preacher often said, you obey God and leave the consequences to him. Our responsibility is to trust and obey. That's it. Until so God protected Elijah, but now Elijah was ready to have this confrontation with the king. But Obadiah was scared. What if I go to tell this king that you're here? He might kill me. Because after all, Ahab and Jezebel were vicious people. Verse number 11, and now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth, has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in the cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. You know, it's one thing for somebody to breathe out threats. It's another thing for them to have the power to execute uh, those threats. Ahab fulfilled his promises. He killed the prophets of God. And now Obadiah felt like he was going to be killed. But listen to Elijah, verse number 15. And Elijah said... As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table." confrontation has been set. A showdown has been scheduled. And let me just give you some advice. Don't go doing this at home. This is not given to us for us to say, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to go and call out all the false religions and tell them, let's have a confrontation. This is a special moment in the life of a particular individual. One of the things we got to guard our hearts against is assuming that just because God did something in somebody else's life, that that means he's going to do it in my life. He does good things for all of us, but unique things for all of us. And this is a unique thing, but yet it's a God thing. Ahab had called for this confrontation, I'm sorry, Elijah had called for this confrontation with Ahab per- precisely to show that God alone is good and to bring Israel to repentance when they found out who the true God of heaven and earth is because Ahab had become so corrupt. Israel had become corrupt because Ahab had become corrupt. We, as a people, will often follow the character of our leaders, so be careful on who you choose as your leaders. But also be careful who you choose as your gods because you will become like the God you worship. And if you worship the God of success, or power, or lust. You will do anything to please those gods and you will become like that God. Ahab was evil, he was oppressive, he was corrupt. Israel was becoming this way all because we see it in verse number 18, he had abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. He was following the false god. And this begs me to ask the question: what have I given my heart over to? What can I not be happy unless I have? For some of us in this room, maybe it's control, maybe it's comfort, maybe again it's power, maybe it's some lust, maybe it's some academic or career success image that you have in your mind, be careful, because it can corrupt you. Look at how corrupt Ahab had become. If you pay attention to the text, you notice a couple of things, that this man was given three years to repent. This was God's grace in sending the famine. It was God giving him a warning, before I send a more severe judgment, wake up pay attention, repent, but instead of seeking after God during these three years, he was seeking after man. He was searching high and low for Elijah, not so that he could hear the word of the Lord, but so that he could destroy him. We'll come back to that one in a moment. But yet he should have been seeking after the Lord. Am I fear? My fear for some of us in this room, and again, this is a little bit heavier of a message than we normally get, but please know it's because of God's fierce mercy and love for you. My fear is that some of you in here, God has given a space and time to repent of sin, and yet you haven't. He gave this man and even these false prophets three years to turn from their sin to him before he sins. what will be a very severe judgment. And I will tell you here that if you are in known, unrepentant sin, that God in his grace and mercy will give you time to repent. But if you refuse, he is a God of justice and holiness. We love to boast of the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. Who doesn't want all of those attributes in spades? But you don't get to pick a slice of God. You either take the whole lot or none of it at all. And he is holy, he is loving, he is merciful, but he is also a God who judges sin. We cannot believe of the God who promises us heaven and ignore hell because the same Bible that tells us of heaven also warns us of hell. And so if you are in known unrepentant sin... I implore you, I urge you today to repent and turn to the Lord so that you might avoid an even harsher judgment. He does disrupt our lives, but when he disrupts our lives, it is simply to get our attention to draw us back to him so that we can avoid what is the harsher judgment. This man had become so corrupt that he sought people instead of God. He, maybe you notice in here, was okay killing people while saving animals. He was okay killing people while saving animals. He had killed the prophets of God and then sent out Obadiah to say, let's search for water. Not so that he can quench the thirst of his people, but so their horses can live. He was looking for water so that the horses and the mules could live. And you may think that this is a PETA commercial, but it ain't. It's not that he's such a compassionate guy that he cares that much about animals. These were horses for his chariots. He was a military man who wanted military might, who wanted to show his military muscle so that his reputation, no matter how famished his people were, his reputation could be preserved. He chose power over people and power over God. He chose military health and strength over spiritual health and strength. And how many times have we made these exchanges? We've sacrificed our marriages, our souls, our kids so that we can have our lust fulfilled or power or convenience or control or recognition. Idols demand more than what we can pay. I'll never forget going back to my early days... In my career, I'll never forget, there was this VP who was at my firm that I really admired. He was one of those success stories. He was young, and within about five years, he had made it to VP status, which was pretty astounding. He was considered to be on the fast track, and he was considered to be one of the rising stars, and I wanted him as a mentor. And so, I did my best to try to connect with him, and I remember one day, he says, Chris, I want you to spend the day with me. We're going to go to a couple appointments, and then we're going to grab lunch together and man, my head could have exploded. I thought to myself, this is it. This is the answer to the prayer that I've been praying. Once uh, we get connected, it is going to be fast track for me. And who knows, maybe I can look up and find myself a VP within the next five years or so. And so we went to a few appointments. Then we went to lunch. It was at lunch where everything fell apart, where my heart was totally broken. He had invited out another uh, leader in our our firm, another uh, VP. And here I am, I'm sitting as a fly on the wall at this table wondering to myself, Chris Brooks, what did you do to get here? Make sure you don't talk or say a word because my daddy taught me that if you're silent, they won't know you're a fool. They'll just have to guess. And so I said, quiet, listening, and then I heard their stories, and their stories were heartbreaking, stories of kids who were addicted and far from the Lord, stories of their own addiction, broken marriages. And here they are, and what became very clear to me, and this is not a criticism against all business success, because not all of it is bad. Some of it is from the Lord. But for these men, what was clear to me is that their professional success had become such an idol that all they had was work. They had nothing else, they had traded everything for that idol. And it left them empty. What, like Ahab, have you sacrificed in order to gain what the world offers but can never fulfill on? The world and these idols give us promises that they can never deliver on. And what, after all, does it profit a man if he gained a whole world but lose his soul? I sat there that day and And I was engaged at the time, and I'll never forget these guys a few months later calling me into their office, and I kid you not, they knew that I was engaged, and they said to me in a private meeting, do not get married, Chris. If you want to have success in this field, don't get married. You got potential. You can one day be somebody. Do not get married. And I looked at Yodi Brooks and I said, I'll choose her. And I am glad to this day that I did not listen to their advice. An idol corrupts your priorities, your values, your heart. But not only that, an idol, as I've alluded to, has no life in it. Look at verse number 20. It says, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? What a way of describing it. How long will you go bouncing between uh, two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, Uh, But if Baal then follow him, and the people did not answer him a word, there was great shame in their hearts. They didn't even speak. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I alone, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. In other words, we agree, we think this is good. Now we'll see forever and ever who's really God, Baal or Jehovah, goes on in verse number 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer and they limped around the altar that they had made And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or I'm trying not to laugh, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And and, and we're going to skip verse 28, go to verse 29, And as midday passed, they raved On until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention because idols have no life. The stuff we chase after only leaves us empty. Only Christ satisfies. Only Christ gives peace. Only Christ fulfills the longings of our hearts. Only Christ answers the deepest questions of our, of our heads. But Elijah, again, is a man like us, so you notice the sarcasm. And how many are like Elijah that you don't want to just win, you want your enemies to know they're losing? Right, so you, you picture this. They built this altar, and, and here's the thing. They're crying out. They're screaming. They're shouting, bell, 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 come help us, and they're so tired that they start limping around the altar. They can't even hold themselves up barely. They've been doing this for hours, and Elijah says, keep calling on him. I'm sure he's going to respond. Maybe he's amusing himself somewhere, looking looking at paintings or enjoying the sunset, or, 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 or maybe he's in the bathroom. Just keep calling him, and he'll come out here. He'll help you, or maybe he's on vacation. He went on a journey, but surely he'll hear you, or maybe he's just taking a nap. You keep calling on him. And they kept calling on him. But joy never came, salvation never came, fire never came. I read an article recently in Christianity Today, and it was about a woman named Doreen. Irene uh, is in the field of psychology, but she had gotten off in the field of psychology. She had gotten off into new age religion, new age spirituality. And I'm telling you, that is all the rave. And I see a lot, in particular, young people that are into new age. And part of the reason why new age is so appealing is it puts no moral obligation on you. You can have spirituality without any of the expectations that you'll uh, choose righteousness over sin, that you'll try your best, to live according to uh, the law of God, the moral law of God. And so if you don't like all the moral stuff, but you like some brand of spirituality, it becomes attractive. And so a lot of people have been coming to our church and and coming to Christ out of all of this, because what they're noticing is what Doreen, in the article that I read, was she noticed the emptiness of it all. She says this, she says, Uh, After seeking but never finding peace in new age, I have finally found it in Christ. Despite the storms in my life, my hope and my trust in the Lord holds me steady. Anybody else can say that? That in spite of the storms, that Christ holds you steady? The promise of Jesus is not that we won't have trouble, but yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because he's with us. I am a living testimony of his grace. I have seen him in the worst of times, in situations that I would have never invited, would have never wanted. I've seen the faithfulness of God. So I tell you, not what I've heard as a third party, not the rumors that others have said, but I tell you what I've experienced firsthand, that peace, the peace that your heart is longing for, it is found in him Success offers you something and then you get it and you find out you're empty. Lust offers you something, but it never is satisfied. Your eyes are never satisfied, and so you have to keep upping the ante because you never can reach that same high that you felt at the beginning. Power is an illusion. We don't have control. All it takes is a little virus to remind the whole globe that we're not as powerful as we think. Idols promise but don't deliver, and here these prophets are, and they're worshiping a lifeless God, a lifeless idol. What about you? What about me? What idols have we worshiped? God is calling us to repentance. And then verse 28, you may have noticed we skipped it, and it says here, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. Here they are. Not only does the idol have no life, it is taking their life. Literally, it's a bloody mess. Then, verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he uh, repaired to the, uh, the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. He's reminding the people of the covenant God made with them. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would, be, uh, as would contain rather two seeds of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at that time and at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, "O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob." I'm sorry, in Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Notice Elijah wasn't looking for his own popularity or success, he simply wanted the people to know that God is worthy of our worship. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked it up and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape, and they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. That's a harsh ending to this story. Again, not analogous to our time. During that time, uh, prophets were often used as a part of the, um, the law enforcement of God. They were to enforce the covenant of God, and so... God would often use them to put down evildoers. Just like in our day, there are those who have both military and, and law enforcement responsibilities to do that. The prophet had that responsibility. But why? It's because of how evil the people were. If you read chapter 16, verse number 30 concerning Ahab, it says this, And Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. What was this evil? Well, he oppressed the poor and the weak. He killed the innocent. He was sexually immoral and perverse and encouraged the nation to do this. And I know sometimes in our hearts, we wanna say, almost like put our own moral judgments over the word of God and say, God, I don't know if I agree with what you did. After all, we want God to be merciful. We don't want God to show justice. But justice and mercy go hand in hand. He can't be merciful and not show justice. He can't ignore all the cries of the innocent who were killed by Ahab, all of the weak who were oppressed by Ahab, all of those who were sexually abused and perverted by Ahab. He can't ignore those cries and still be a God of justice. You see, justice and mercy must go hand in hand, and it's at the cross of Christ that justice and mercy kiss one another. Only God can execute both justice and mercy in perfect balance, and so He brings Ahab to account, but after three years of grace and giving them opportunity to repent. And I love the posture of Elijah. This is the posture that we should have. As he prays for a nation, as we pray for our friends and loved ones who aren't following Jesus, maybe those who are in all types of unrepentant sin, he doesn't do it like the prophets of Baal. He doesn't yell or scream, he humbly praise to the Lord, have mercy. You can't argue salvation into a person. You can't through the sheer force of will make a person come to Christ. You can't yell at the world and expect revival to come. But through humble, faithful prayer, we can petition the Lord on behalf of our loved ones to show himself mighty, to show mercy, And to reveal his goodness. And God did it for Elijah. And I believe he will do it for us as we cry out to him as well. But it starts with us turning from our idols and acknowledging that Christ alone is God. And when we do, we experience what he alone can give. And that is life. And that more abundantly. Amen? Let's close. I'm over my time. I want to invite you to stand with me as our worship team comes to close us in worship and in song. I want to invite you to give your heart to the Lord today. This is a heavy message. Not every week is like this. So if you're a visitor, welcome. (laughs) Come back next week. But this is the type of message that will save your life. This this may not be the desserts of the meal, but we all need vegetables to grow. And so I invite you to just take a personal moment, bow your head, close your eyes, search your heart. Was this for you? Was this message God's warning out of love for you to turn now, repent now, give your heart to Christ now? Earlier today at our earlier service, 21-year-old young man said to me, this message was for me gave his heart to jesus maybe today is your day for salvation god loves you that much that he put together this whole service hundreds of people also that you might hear that jesus died for your sins and through faith in him alone you can know salvation and peace with god every eye closed every head bowed i want to pray for you before we worship if today is a day of salvation for you today, you need to come back to the Lord. I would ask for you to simply just raise your hand. Just raise your hand all over this room so that I can pray for you. I won't make you make a long walk to the front or anything like that, but I do want today to be the day of salvation for you. I don't want you to get this close to God and to leave without knowing his grace and mercy. So again, with all eyes closed, every head bowed, searching your own heart. And if you are a Christian already, you should be quietly, humbly praying right now for somebody you know who doesn't know Christ, that they would know Christ. Once more, if today you need to give your heart to the Lord, can you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? I see your hand, sir. Keep it high. I'm going to pray. And then after we worship, if we can wrap our arms around you, we'd love to do that. Father, I pray that today we would know that the idols of our lives can't deliver on their promises, that you alone are Lord, and that salvation is of you. For those who are raising their hands right now, I pray that today would be the day where everything changes. May we carry the message of your goodness, your grace, your power, and life abundantly that is found in you. Until all have heard, until Christ returns, and all God's people said, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.